You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. How can healthcare professionals treating patients with diabetes provide additional prandial intervention to reach A1C targets? Joining us to discuss prandial intervention for the treatment of diabetes is past president of the American Diabetes Association and professor of medicine at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Dr. John Buse. Dr. Buse, welcome to ReachMD. Thanks a lot for having me. John, let's just quickly define prandial because, uh, you know, it's kind of a word that's changed through the years of treating diabetes. Yeah, so prandial usually refers to the blood sugar rise and fall after meals. Uh, Some people think the best time to measure it is uh, two hours after meal. Some people say one hour after meal. The important thing is in normal individuals, usually the uh, blood sugar rises and falls back to baseline within uh, two hours. Um, In type 2 diabetes, it tends to be uh, delayed and the peak tends to be much higher. It will vary a great deal even in normal individuals based on the length of the meal, the food composition, the time of the day. So in normal individuals, the highest blood sugar um, is after the the evening meal, whereas in people with diabetes, it's often after the morning meal. Um, so it's 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 a bit of a mess, frankly. Yeah, and I think that's why we've 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 gone up and back with all the professional organizations on, you know, what what should be the range as well. I mean, right now, isn't the uh, the stated goal for the American Diabetes Association is less than 180 two hours, one to two hours after eating. Right. So what they the, the specific language they use is the peak glucose after the meal should be less than 180, generally between one to two hours. Um, and the the way that number was picked is actually if you take lean, relatively young people, you know, in their 30s and 40s. Um, who uh, have no family history of diabetes in a normal glucose tolerance test, and you give them 50% of their daily calories uh, at the evening meal uh, and a diet that's about 50% carbohydrate, the, you know, the two standard deviations from the mean is a glucose of about 180. So even normal people have blood sugars as high as 180 after meals. Well, let's review the armamentarium that we have that are called postprandial drugs, and then we'll get into some specific newer studies that actually you presented. So I think um, the most effective classical postprandial medication are rapid-acting insulin analogs. Um, And then as far as the pills go, you know, sort of the classic postprandially targeted pill uh, are the alpha-glucosidase inhibitors. Um, like Acrobos and Miglitol. Almost all the other medications have a bit of a mixture, you know, affecting fasting and postprandial glucose, some to a greater or lesser extent. And sort of the, you know, the, the newer kid on the block uh, with regards to postprandial glucose um, is actually exenatide. Yeah. GLP-1 is a mechanism, uh, has, a, uh, has sort of a postprandial play, but because of the pharmacokinetics of exenatide with uh, 
duration, a half-life of about two hours and a peak after injection um, at about two hours. Um, it is a very powerful postprandial drug. Can you briefly go through the mechanisms of why it targets the postprandial? Well, um, exenatide in particular, you know, specifically targets the postprandial because of its pharmacodynamics. Um, so it it peaks within that two hours. Uh, you're supposed to take it, you know, 30 to 60 minutes before the meal. Um, so if you do it that way, the peak is about an hour after the meal starts. Um, but the mechanism, the GLP-1 mechanism, stimulates uh, glucose-dependent insulin secretion suppresses the hyperglucagonemia that's present in type 2 diabetes um, and is a major contributor to postprandial glucose, decreases appetite, and slows gastric emptying. Um, and you mentioned liraglutide, which is arguably, well, it's, a, it's another, it's the newest GLP-1 receptor agonist. Um, it actually is a bit more powerful with regards to A1C reduction because it has a longer half-life lowers fasting glucose, uh, but in a head-to-head study we conducted, uh, it actually has less of an effect on the postprandial glucose, um, again, because of the pharmacodynamics. When you look at the twice-daily exenatide now, what is the explanation of why the, there's a significant reduction in the fasting, although not as great as the postprandial? You know, I, I am not sure. The drug is really not, you know, it, it, its duration of action is you know, perhaps six hours, maybe 10, uh, you know, with a two-hour half-life. So if you take, if a patient takes it at 6 p.m. at the time of the evening meal, there's really very little left through the uh, middle of the night. Uh, that said, there's some. Um, and then with the lowering of A1C that occurs with the postprandial reduction, arguably you would have a little bit of improvement in insulin sensitivity globally. And then with the weight loss, likewise, a bit of an improvement in insulin sensitivity. Um, so I, I think, you know, the fasting glucose reduction with exenatide is really pretty modest, but likely driven more by these other phenomenon than it's the, the drug itself that's still working in the fasting state. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephen Edelman. I'm speaking with Dr. John Buse. We're discussing prandial intervention for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. John, let's talk about the uh, study that we were mentioning earlier, the combination of basal insulin plus daytime GLP-1 agonist. Although it's not currently approved in the United States for that combination, I'm sure it's coming, and you have a lot of good data to share with our listeners. Long-acting insulin formulations are arguably the most powerful fasting glucose-reducing agents, um, and exenatide is arguably one of the most powerful postprandial glucose-lowering agents. Um, and we have exenatide having the other benefit of promoting weight loss and not being associated with an increased risk of hypoglycemia. Uh, so the hypothesis is combining long-acting insulin with exenatide might give us, you know, the perfect reduction um, in glucose through the day uh, without increasing the risk of hypoglycemia and weight gain. And so we took patients with type 2 diabetes who were inadequately controlled um, on uh, a mixture of uh, glargine insulin and oral agents. Specifically, they could be on metformin. Uh, or pioglitazone 
or the combination of the two, um, and um, randomize them to get exenatide or placebo in a double-blind fashion, um, and then subsequently optimize their control of fasting glucose uh, with a titration scheme for glargine. So it's really exenatide plus optimized glargine versus placebo plus optimized glargine. What we saw was that with exenatide uh, and optimized glargine, the average A1C in this population of people with an average duration of diabetes of 12 years who had a baseline A1C of, I think, 8.3% uh, was 6.7%. So with longstanding duration, failing uh, insulin, basal insulin therapy, we were able to lower the A1C on average to 6.7%. Uh, versus about 7.3% in the patients that were on placebo and optimized glargine. Um, and when you look at the seven-point glucose profiles uh, on the exenatide plus optimized glargine, all the pre-meal and postprandial glucoses were within uh, the, the recommended target range. Um, and in general, the postprandial glucoses were even within the recommended target range from the American College of endocrinology less than 140. The other epiphenomenon was that whereas with just optimized glargine, the average patient gained about one kilo, uh, with the combination of exenatide and optimized glargine, they actually lost about two kilos. So at the end of six months, about a three kilo difference between groups. Um, and then most surprisingly, there was really no increase in hypoglycemia. 1.4 events per patient per year um, in the uh, exenatide plus optimized glargine versus 1.2 with just the glargine alone. And the only severe hypoglycemic episodes were two episodes in one of the placebo-treated patients. Let's finish up the show talking about the ADA-EAST consensus panel. The current algorithm suge uh, suggests that everybody uh, at diagnosis get lifestyle intervention plus metformin and if that is inadequate to keep the A1C less than 7 or whichever target you're approaching, uh, provides for four alternative second-line therapies, uh, basal insulin, sulfonylurea, um, pioglitazone, or uh, a GLP-1 receptor agonist, uh, like, like we've been talking about. Um, and then as third-line therapy, uh, could consider adding a sulfonylurea, and in the end, as needed, everybody ends up on metformin uh, with basal insulin and uh, multiple daily injections of rapid-acting insulin. What's going to be the, the big change? I'm, I'm sure DPP-4s are probably going to be on the algorithm. Well, I, I don't know when the ADA-EASD group will get together again, but I do think that uh, thinking a bit more about the DPP-4 inhibitors um, is very likely to occur um, at the time of the last algorithm, the DPP-4 inhibitors had just been released on the marketplace. I mean, they were very, very new. Um, I think, you know, there are two new classes of drugs that have occurred since uh, 2008, colocephalam um, and the quick-release bromocryptine, and um, at least a, a look at those is probably in order. Um, and then, you know, a lot of stuff has happened in the glitazone space, um, and uh, that needs to be uh, reconsidered with regards to uh, safety uh, issues. Um, and lastly, I think this uh, this combination of uh, exenatide or GLP-1 receptor agonists um, and long-acting insulin is sort of a final default pathway, I, I think is a reasonable alternative.
alternative to the classical multiple daily injection regimen uh, because you get the benefit without weight gain, in fact, with weight loss and without an increased risk of hypoglycemia. Yeah, that that seems like a, a great combination. Well, hopefully that'll be approved soon. I'd like to thank our guest, Professor of Medicine at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Dr. John Buse. Dr. Buse, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. It is a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. July 10th. My lecture tour is going well. While the days have not been too tiring, I do worry for Marie and her diabetes. Dr. Hayedorn mentioned that her blood sugar was above normal right before we left. I hope we can find some answers while we are here. In 1922, Novo Nordisk's founder, Nobel Prize winning scientist August Crow, and his wife and fellow scientist Marie made a fateful visit to America to further their research and build relationships with doctors working on the earliest treatments for diabetes. July 28th. We keep hearing of this new medication that replaces the insulin that people with diabetes no longer make on their own. People who treat their diabetes can live longer and healthier lives. This could be what we've been searching for. Upon learning about the work being done at the University of Toronto, August and Marie headed north to make a connection that would change the face of diabetes treatment forever. August 11th, Dr. Hayedorn, as I believe you will be interested from both a theoretical and practical point of view, I have persuaded my husband to write to Dr. McLeod in Toronto and ask to obtain its method of manufacture so you can perform experiments with insulin in Denmark. November the 1st, Success. We have replicated the process here in Kirmhaun and will be administering the first batches of insulin to patients by week's end. This could be the moment when we finally get control over Marie's diabetes and help so many others. From our first patient to our latest innovation, Novo Nordisk has been a world leader in diabetes care for nearly a century. Our patient-centric philosophy has led to many breakthroughs, including insulin analogs and easy-to-use delivery devices and a global commitment to advancing research, education, and partnership. And our mission is the same today as it was back then, to defeat diabetes. Visit us at novonordisk-us.com.